In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. My mother, Claire Nix, maiden name Donnelly, died uh, two days ago, and today is her requiem mass. Her funeral will be next week. She is survived by her husband, Jerry. I'm her firstborn, Father David Nix. Her secondborn is Michael Nix, and their, um, his wife, Brenda, and their child, Addie. And then the, her third is uh, Megan Weedle, married to Luke Weedle, and their five children. Also want to thank the uh, priests of the FSSP. It's always very difficult to accommodate a uh, requiem mass during Holy Week. That's one reason why my mom's uh, funeral and burial is next week, as the Archdiocesan Mortuary is closed this week. But it's so important that we have this opportunity to make reparation for my mother's sins um, shortly after her passing. And so it means a lot to me that you're here, and I would very much encourage you to pray uh, for my mother. My mom was born on the south side of Chicago. She's 100% Irish. And she was really one of the most generous people I've ever met, um, constantly selfless. And I'm not going to use today to describe a lot of her life, but often we need to look at everything during Holy Week through the eyes of the cross and the resurrection. And I would say that this includes a Requiem Mass. A Requiem Mass in Holy Week needs to look at the end of somebody's life through the eyes of the cross and the resurrection. How about the cross in my mother's life the past three, three and a half months? Um, she languished with a very hard disease the last three and a half months. It was very humiliating. She had to be changed quite often. She lost her ability to walk a few months ago. Um, two months ago, lost the ability even to use a walker. And this disease reduced her to about 60 pounds by the end of her life. So there was um, no doubt there was an extremely grinding, humiliating suffering in my mother's life uh, the past three and a half months. There's a Father Buckley with the FSSP who says, if you don't find Lent, Lent will find you. And for our whole family, this, this has been the longest winter, both physically outside, as you know if you're from Denver, and emotionally uh, that we've seen in a long time. But as we get ready next week for the resurrection, I would propose that a good death already has these glimmers, maybe retroactively, a good death has glimmers of the resurrection already coming into it. And so, instead of going into my mom's very, very generous life, I just want to talk about a couple of the graces that came into her life literally the last four days. Uh, my sister and my brother-in-law are raising their family Byzantine Catholics. They go to a Russian Catholic parish, and as some of you know, they, um, they baptize the baby, and then that same day, the baby receives confirmation and First Holy Communion. And on Saturday, um, my sister's fifth baby, Lizzie, was baptized at my parents' nursing home, which is Gardens of St. Elizabeth, 12 stories below my mother and my father's condo. My mother obviously couldn't come downstairs at this point, so we FaceTimed the baptism in this chapel for my, uh, my mother to see the baptism um, of her uh, sixth grandchild there. And during this time, um, she was in and out of consciousness, but she was, able, she was able to watch the baptism of Lizzie just this last Saturday. Now, as I just said, a Russian Catholic priest gives Holy Communion to the baby, and 
after he gave her communion, and, you know, in the East you just smear a little bit of the precious blood on the lips of the gum since the child can't swallow yet, the Russian Catholic priest then offered to come upstairs to give my own mother communion. And one reason this was very profound is my mother had lost the ability to swallow, so in some sense she was like an infant, so she couldn't receive a Western communion, you know, a whole host like, like I would have given her. So the Eastern, this Russian Catholic priest, came upstairs and he smeared a little bit of the precious blood on my mother's lips, who was almost nonverbal at this point, but, but still awake to know that she was receiving her Savior. Um, and so Saturday was my niece's first communion from the same chalice my mother received her last communion. And this is the type of stuff you can't write, so I see divine providence in it. Kind of a corny term, but my friend calls them not coincidences, but God, inci- God incidences. This has to be one of those. Um, Monday morning, I slept in a recliner next to my mother's bed, and around 3 a.m., I noticed her breathing was getting more shallow. And so I woke my aunt to uh, watch my mom's breathing while I went to this condo, penthouse, nursing home uh, thing overlooking downtown Denver, Gardens of St. Elizabeth. There's, there's two bedrooms for... Um, this condo that uh, some very generous family members of my mother purchased for my dad when we couldn't take care of uh, my mom at, at one of our own homes. So my aunt watched my, my mother as I went to go offer a mass 15 feet away in a different bedroom. And of course, she couldn't receive communion. She had just had her last communion. And then I came back and I said, should I call Michael and Megan, my brother and sister? She said, don't call them yet. So I said, okay. So I started the prayers that you can find in the Colexia Ritum, the act of of faith for the dying. I just asked my mom to join her heart and her mind to this. Keep in mind, about three months prior, I had asked my parents to get involved, enrolled in the Brown Scapular, which they agreed to my mom's first hospital visit in the Christmas octave. She got enrolled in the Brown Scapular. I think it's very important at this point to notice that Our Lady's promise is anyone who dies wearing the Brown Scapular will not suffer the pains of hell. And my mother had been praying her daily rosary for the past few years, too. So now we're up to 4 a.m. on Monday morning. This is just two days ago. And uh, by 6 a.m., I noticed my mom's breathing was becoming very shallow. So I called my brother and sister and said, Mom is still alive. Her pulse is down to 20. Come over. They arrived at uh, 6.20 a.m. And we started the, uh, the prayers from the Colexio Rituum, which includes De Expiratione, which literally means upon expiration. Also the litany of the dying and the commendation of the soul. You know, a lot of people say these old rites before the council were very mean and scary. As I read you from this old rite, this is one of a dozen prayers I prayed in the last hour of my mother's life over her. You tell me if this is mean and scary. It's one of the prayers I prayed just two days ago in my mom's last hour on earth. O Lord Jesus Christ, who did say through the mouth of the prophet, I have loved you with an everlasting love. Therefore, I, in, therefore, in pity, I have drawn you to myself. Deign, I implore thee to offer up and show to God the Father Almighty on behalf of thy servant Claire that love of thine which drew thee down from heaven to earth to endure all thy bitter sufferings. Deliver her from all the pains and sufferings which she fears she deserves for her sins. And grant salvation to her soul in this hour when it takes its departure. Open to her the gates of life and cause her to rejoice with thy saints in everlasting glory. 
And do thou, most loving Lord Jesus Christ, who has redeemed us by thy most precious blood, take pity on the soul of this thy servant Claire, and lead her into the lovely places of paradise that are forever green, so that she may live with thee in undivided love, never to be separated from thee and from those whom thou hast chosen. Thou, who with the Father and the Holy Spirit livest and reignest, God, forever and ever. Amen. It's very dark, scary, and mean there, isn't it? We began the rosary at 7 a.m. My father, my aunt, myself, my brother Michael, my sister Megan. Megan had to bring Lizzie, the baby that had just been baptized because she was still nursing. And uh, we said a rosary. And my mother expired at the very last prayer of the rosary, the Hail Holy Queen. The last decade, we all put our hands uh, on her and um, Megan placed Lizzie on her arm and my mother expired at the very last prayer of the rosary. Um, she died with the brown scapular on. And there was a mix-up uh, in the city of Denver medical examiner. They had a, they had a meeting. And so uh, my mother's body had to stay in the room for about three hours. Normally people are quite afraid of dead bodies, but it was amazing. Every time I went in there, and especially uh, the whole really nursing home, and the condo, but especially that room, there was grace, light, and peace streaming in on Monday morning. I'm not much to put my spirituality on feelings. I like to put it on divine revelation, not feelings. But there's something to be said about the fact that I felt nothing but grace and peace and light pouring in there at this time. Now, with all of this being said, you might say, well, let's, let's just canonize Clernix and, and move on and, uh, and say she's in heaven. But I want to tell you why that's not the charitable thing to do. As some of you know, I did a brief stint in the fraternity of St. Peter, and at that time, right before I had joined them for this brief stint, this was the time when uh, two of their priests in Phoenix, kind of a rough neighborhood, they had an intruder come in, and the intruder commandeered the gun of uh, Father Walker, who um, I think may have been uh, interested in defending himself, but uh, didn't do it. Father Nolan can correct me later if this is wrong. Commandeered the gun, killed Father Walker, and uh, Father Tara, the uh, pastor, was greatly injured in this. So I went out to Denton, Nebraska for the solemn high mass and burial of Father Walker. Now, Father Walker, these other priests told me he was very, very pure of heart, very, very holy, and Father Tara preached the sermon. And so Father Tara began the sermon saying, you know what the number one problem in the world is? And I thought, this guy sees eye to eye with me, at least moral. He's probably going to go into contraception or abortion or maybe gun rights or, you know. And he said, loneliness and isolation. I thought, that's pretty interesting for an FSSP priest to say. Loneliness and isolation is the number one problem in the world. He applied this first to the criminal, why he did this. But then he talked about what it would mean if we just buried Father Walker, said he's in heaven, never buried, never visited his gravesite again, washed his hands of it. You know, Protestants say this person's in heaven. If someone made a single altar call, gave their life to Jesus, you wash your hands, say they're in heaven, and you go on about your life. Why is that not the charitable thing to do? Three reasons. One, because... The Council of Trent and other councils infallibly state that not only can we not say someone's in heaven, we can't even declare that they're in purgatory. 
Secondly, it's an offense against God's truth and charity that if they're, um, that he has commanded us uh, through the spiritual works of mercy to pray for the dead, so it would be going against Catholic doctrine. Um, three, if the person actually is literally in purgatory, it's extremely not charitable to refrain from praying for them since the saints say it's excruciating pain. I personally hope that my mom's four and a half months staved off or paid the price of some or all of her purgatory. I hope she's saved. I hope some of that time was purgatory or all of it, but I don't know. Now, here's why it's beautiful. We're not evangelical Protestants that can just say, okay, she's in heaven. It's all good. Here's why it's so beautiful, and Father Tara alluded to this, but this isn't direct quotes of him. The, the third reason why we continue to pray for the dead is it keeps us in a bond of charity with them for life. You see, my mom's going to be buried next week at Mount Olivet Cemetery, and I, I hope to visit her the rest of my life. I don't know where she is right now, but when I go to pray for her, this keeps me connected to her in love for the rest of my life. Washing my hands, saying, isn't it lovely she's in heaven? Then she's out of my mind. But we as Catholics stay in the bond of perfection. That's what St. Paul says charity is, is the bond of perfection. When we pray for the dead, we continue to love them for the rest of our lives with sacrificial love. Love is not emotions. Love is sacrificial. St. John Chrysostom said, if you knew how quickly God, for, if, sorry, St. John Chrysostom says, if you knew how quickly people forgot about you after your death, you would live for God alone. Someone this past year on Facebook put a meme to that with all these people stuffing their faces with sandwiches at a funeral or after a funeral. Again, St. John Chrysostom, if you knew how quickly God, sorry, if you knew how quickly people forgot about you after your death, you would live for God alone. I mean, think about that. After I die, people are going to be stuffing ham sandwiches in their mouth saying, he was a pretty good guy, but a bit of an extremist, and they're going to go back home as they eat their sandwiches. But the doctrine of purgatory prevents that. The doctrine of purgatory makes sure we don't write off our loved because we stay connected to them, not just in emotions of saying, isn't it great they're saved? It keeps us united to them in sacrificial love. And that is why we heard the very greatest gift you can give the deceased is the holy sacrifice of the Mass, for it is the representation of Calvary upon the altar, which is Jesus' own infinite charity poured out for the soul of my mother. Eternal rest grant unto her, O Lord, and may perpetual light shine upon her. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen.